just so moving, and let's just sing it out to him.
this time all the kids, kindergarten, fifth grade, you are dismissed. And let's sing one song more. What a beautiful noise to hear God's people singing these Christmas hymns. 
these hymns of the first Noel. Lord, we praise your name this morning. We gather here at the end of a tough year for some and a great year for others, but we know all of it is shaped by you. We close the year out always remembering the greatest gift that was given to mankind, the gift of Jesus being born, a Savior sent by the Father, a plan our triune God had since the creation of the heavens and the earth. Man fell and fell hard. Nothing in his creation could mend the damage that was done. We are born into this sin Adam committed. We are born in need of a Savior. That Savior was born all those years ago, a king, our king, born in a stable for animals. We can't comprehend that a king was born among animals and feed, thinking he needed more comfort as his title calls for. And yet Jesus was provided the greatest gift he could receive, a loving mother and a loving father to provide, to protect, and to care for the king of kings. We pray for our families and our lives, Lord, that you bless them and protect them. As some of us go and visit family and gather with those we don't often see, I pray we can give them the love Mary and Joseph gave. I pray we can give, be an encouragement to our families to be used by you to demonstrate your love for them, no matter how crazy they can be. We lift up the songs to you that we sing this morning, that it brings glory and happiness to you, Father. I pray that our minds and hearts be focused on you this morning and that we come hungry for the meal we're about to listen to that it fills our souls and readies us for the world we face every day, a world of evil and a world that hates us, that we are able to stand strong and pick up our cross daily. Knowing our faith will be tested constantly, we thank you for the accountability we can have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, standing with one another in love and guidance. We thank you for this season to remember the birth of Christ, and I pray we ponder it as we go through the week. We pray all this in your powerful name that will be glorified forever. Amen. You may be seated. That was wonderful, wonderful to hear that, that update uh, and, just, and to know that the, the Lord continues to work around the, the world and in and through the gospel. Amen? Amen? Well, if you have your copy of, of God's Word, I invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing our, our study through kind of the, that household code that we've looked at the last uh, few weeks. But I want to be, begin this morning by emphasizing the, the, the need for the, the, right, uh, the right tool for the job. And uh, if you've ever tried to, to build something or, man, you're, you're struggling to, to get something accomplished or finished at the house, and just it takes so much longer because you don't have the right tool. You ever had to, to hang something without a stud finder? Right, and you have to kind of like pound on the wall and kind of listen for is it is it hollow is it not hollow? You kind of pound along the wall and kind of listen for a, a different uh, noise, and then uh, you have to okay, I think I found the stud. Then you drill, uh, and uh, you you realize oh, I just went through drywall. Now I have a hole in the wall, and now what do you have to do? Pound again. You go back to square one, start pounding along, and kind of drill again. Okay, I found a stud. Now I have to measure. Is it 16 inches, 18 inches? Uh, and then, oh, 18 inches. No, that was too far. Uh, let me go to 16 inches. Okay, I found another stud. So you end up with all of these holes in the wall, right? Uh, and uh, okay, now I need something really big to hang there to cover up. Uh, and uh, all of that happens because you didn't have the right tool. But if you had the stud finder, uh, what are you able to do? You're able to go along the wall and say, oh, here's a stud right here, and you mark that, and here's a stud right there, and you mark that. Uh, and what is every father obligated to do if they pick up the stud finder? The, yeah, they're, they're obligated to, uh, to run it past. It's, it's a, like an inherent dad joke within that. You've got to make sure your wife is able to hear it as well. Um, but that just, that, that happens, right? But that's the, the, the difference between having the right tool for the job 
uh, means that it, it's going to be a lot cleaner. Uh, it's going to be a lot easier if you, if you kn- have the tool and you know how to use the tool uh, that, that is given to you. And I want to emphasize that. We've been, we've been talking the last few weeks a lot about uh, what Christ commands us concerning uh, marriage and, and roles in, of husbands and, and wives. Uh, we, we talked last week about the, the role of, of children with their uh, parents, and today we're going to begin to talk about parents and, and their responsibilities and their, their role uh, with their children. Uh, and, and all of that is, is good, but it's a lot of how to. But, but the, the reality is, that as we've been, you know, we've been studying the, the end of the book of Ephesians, and because of, you know, the way that I kind of parachuted into the, the household code, we, we sped past the first part of the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 are all about the salvation that we have received in Christ, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 are uh, applying that salvation to our day-to-day lives. Uh, and it, it's really easy to, to run past chapters 1, 2, and 3 and just try to land on chapters 4, 5, and 6. Like, give me just the practical information of what do I need to do to, to help fix the, the situation within my household right here and right now. Uh, and uh, those are important of the, the how-to, but we also have to understand that the who is. Now, we have to understand who Jesus is uh, we have to look to him in faith. And if we have not done that, we don't have the right tool for the job when it comes to managing our household well, when it comes to relating to our spouse, or when it comes to parenting our kids, or submitting to and following and honoring our parents. Uh, we, we don't have the right tool for the job unless we've looked to Christ in faith, unless he has, has given us a, a new heart. Uh, if you turn back a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 2. We have to, to grasp and understand our, our salvation and rest in our salvation, uh, and then uh, our obedience to Christ follows what he has done in us, uh, rather than us seeking to just o- obey and do the, these. Obeying Christ without believing in him and trusting in him is going to be frustrating and impossible. But Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, this is what we have to to comprehend. Even as as, uh, Tim talked about and as he was uh, teaching there uh, in Asia of what he needed to communicate to people, that we have to understand our our sinful uh, relationship and our standing before God. And the Apostle Paul is going to write about that here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also, all also, formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So that was our our sinful standing before the Lord, and every one of us was in that category. But, but God acted on our behalf while we were yet sinners. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace 
you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Our salvation comes to us not because of anything that we have done, but because we are completely unworthy, uh, and God is working in us to, to redeem us and save us, even though we don't deserve it. No one is able to boast that we have deserved the salvation that we have received. But we boast in the God who has saved us. And then look at verse 10. And this is where verses four, or chapters 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians come into play. God saves us, and now he's calling us uh, to honor and glorify him. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Uh, and walking in those good works is going to involve, yeah, living faithfully as a husband, as a, as a wife, as a parent, as a child, uh, and doing all that we uh, do to his glory rather than for ourselves. But we're never going to be able to apply and live out Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6. We won't be able to apply and live out anything in there if we haven't followed Christ, if we're not looking to him in faith and trusting in him alone. Uh, and so I, I want to bring that to our attention. These are not just quick and easy principles to apply. Uh, it, the word of God has to have taken root in our heart and uh, life. Uh, we have to be saved in order to begin to obey Christ. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to be uh, fruitless and frustrating. Uh, and I would say this is never more true than in parenting. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Last week we studied uh, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, where Paul gave instructions to children concerning how they were to relate to their parents. If you look with me uh, at those verses, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. So he, he speaks to the, the children, and he gives instructions to them. And then in verse 4, he's going to speak to, to parents. He's going to be speaking to both parents, but he's going to address specifically fathers uh, and, and give them some, some responsibilities. But he, what he does uh, uniquely with the, the fathers is he gives a, a warning and then an exhortation. If you look at verse 6, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's the warning, the, the prohibition. And then the contrast, rather than bring your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, and this morning, I just wanted to, to talk about and, and, and focus in on that first warning, the first few words in that verse of, Fathers, do not provoke uh, your children to anger. Uh, and then we'll save the, the, the exhortation at the end of the, the verse for future messages. But I, I want to, to examine the, the warning that, uh, God, through the Apostle Paul, gives to fathers uh, in this passage. And then I want to ask three questions, kind of figuring out and, and meditating. It to how, what, is this, what are the implications of this, and how do I apply this passage in my own uh, relationships? Uh, and so looking at uh, th this passage, first the warning, and then three questions uh, to follow. Uh, but looking at the, the warning given to fathers, you know, he— the Apostle Paul addresses them as fathers, uh, and again, really the idea is, is parents. Uh, in, the, in the Greek, sometimes the word uh, used for uh, fathers is directly used 
to also speak of parents, mothers, and fathers. It's used that way in Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23. Uh, and the same word is translated just as uh, parents. Uh, and so I think he has parents in mind, but he could have said parents if he wanted to say parents also, uh, because he just used that uh, word in uh, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents. Uh, and he uses the word for mother and, and father there. And he uses just fathers in verse 4. So uh, he's, he has the, the understanding of mothers and fathers, but he specifically addresses fathers. And, and why is that? I think it goes back to, well, fathers are the, the head of the, the household. Uh, and fathers, because they're the, the head of the household, have the, the primary responsibility to make sure uh, that these instructions are, are being followed within their household. And uh, that they, uh, I would also say that fathers have a unique tendency, more so than mothers, uh, they, they have a, a tendency towards this sin of making their children angry. Uh, and the idea here in the, the, the warning or the, really the prohibition is, you know, do not provoke is the translation that, that I have here in the, the legacy standard. Uh, but the, the idea is do not make angry or do not enrage. Uh, of don't make your kids enraged. Don't, don't bring them to wrath. And there's a, a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3 uh, that says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. There's a, a different word there, but you can kind of gather the sense of what the apostle Paul is uh, is is saying. And th- this is important to kind of see the, the flow. So he, he just called children to honor and to obey their parents. Uh, and what we talked last week of that doesn't necessarily come with it. That's not a time-bound thing that we are always uh, called to honor and obey our parents uh, at any and every stage of, of life. And that looks different as we get older. Uh, we're still called to, to take care of our parents, to honor them. Uh, and then right after that, after emphasizing that children need to honor and to obey their parents, there's this immediate warning and really a prohibition to fathers. Uh, right on, on the heels of this. And this is, this is the first prohibition that we've seen in, in this household code. Everything else has been positive, right? Husbands are to, to love their wives. Wives are to be uh, uh, submissive to their husbands. But then this is a no, don't do that. Uh, this is a clear prohibition. And it comes right on the, the heels of children being called to obey their, their parents. And because it's right and it's rewarded, but, but he gives this, this warning and this prohibition. And now in, again, in the context of the first century, we, we kind of lose, we think of only in, in our own times. But in the first century, this would have been absolutely uh, a, a radical call for fathers because at that time, fathers had kind of absolute control within their household. This is what one Bible scholar uh, describes. He says, this was a totally new concept for Paul's day, especially in such pagan strongholds as Ephesus. Most families were in shambles, uh, and mutual love among family members was almost unheard of. A father's love for his children would have been hard even to imagine. By the Roman law of patria potestas, uh, a father had virtual life and death power, not only over his uh, slaves, but over his entire household. He could cast any of them out of the house, sell them as slaves, or even kill them and be accountable to no one. A newborn child was placed at his father's feet to, to determine its fate. If the father picked it up, the child was allowed to stay in the home. If the father walked away, it was simply disposed of. Much as aborted babies are in our own day, 
And discarded infants who were healthy and vigorous were collected and taken each night to the town forum where they would be picked up and raised to be slaves or prostitutes. So when, when the Apostle Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your, your children to anger, th- that was completely foreign to first century Roman Empire fathers. It's like, wait, you can't make any uh, prohibitions against me. I, I'm able to do whatever I want. But the Apostle Paul gives this warning because it's all too common for the relationship between fathers and their children to be strained or broken off completely. And and that was true in in the first century. uh, And I think it's going to be, it has been true every century prior to that and every century uh, after that. And I probably don't need to to give you illustrations on what a strained or broken relationship looks like with uh, a father. But because I would venture to, to guess either you have a strained relationship with your father, and it's not that it always is that way, but it's usually a safe bet nowadays uh, that there's difficulties between fathers and their children. Uh, and you have felt that as a child or you are feeling that as a father right now. And that's why I wanted just to spend this morning looking at that. And, and uh, this, this strained relationship and really having kids who are embittered or enraged at their, their father is, is all too common be, for several reasons. Number one, because fathers are sinners. That, that's the reality. We are going to make mistakes as, uh, as men. Uh, and so we, we are going to give our kids plenty of ammunition Right, here's all of my faults. They get a front row seat to that. So fathers are sinners, and that puts a strain on their relationship. But children are also sinners. Uh, and, and that just heightens the, 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 the tension and the difficulty level. Uh, and, and being in households together uh, and calling uh, for obedience and submission, and all of that creates strain. But I would also say this. So fathers are sinners. That adds difficulty. Children are sinners. That adds more difficulty. But the world around us is also seeking to create division. I saw this in a unique place this week. My wife and I were watching uh, Miracle on 34th Street. I'd never watched it before. Uh, We're like, hey, let's throw that on. Uh, And this this version was from 1947. Uh, And if you're not familiar with the the story, Chris Kringle, this guy who's claiming to be uh, Santa Claus, he's He's there at a store, and he's having a conversation with a, a young man named Alfred. And Alfred uh, enjoyed, uh, enjoys dressing up as Santa Claus around Christmas time and giving out gifts. And uh, his uh, workplace is encouraging him to see the, the, the company psychologist. Uh, and so over the, the course of their lunch conversation, Alfred you know, goes on to describe what he talks about with the psychologist and the doctor saying that he likes to give away gifts because he has a guilt complex and all of these other things. Uh, and Chris Ringle asks, well, is there anything else? And he says, and again, this is interesting because it's from 1947. So Alfred, the young man who's 17, he says, oh, no. So Chris Ringle asks, anything else? And Alfred says, no. Well, oh, just that I hate my father. Uh, and I didn't know it, but he says I do. Now, that's profound. Right? So 1947, the understanding of what psychologists are, are communicating and saying regularly, uh, and those same secular theories of psychology are, ta- are mainstream now, uh, in, in which all of life's problems that any adult uh, is facing is usually blamed upon parents. And I've seen multiple uh, people throughout uh, just my time in church th- within my own family and people who go to uh, 
secular psychologists and all of the blame for everything that they're dealing with in life is placed firmly up on the responsibility of their parents. Uh, and I think that, that that resonates with so many people because sometimes that's true. Sometimes there are legitimate things that a father or a, a mother, parents have done uh, in the lives of their kids that have made life difficult, right? When, when we sin as parents, uh, our, our kids get the, the, the splash damage. They get the, the shrapnel uh, from our bad decisions embedded within their, uh, their body and within their life. Now, and we have to understand that. Uh, and so uh, there, there's, it, it resonates with so many people because there's, a, there's a, an element of truth to it. Uh, and it's not how it ought to be, but it is uh, what it is. That, that there is a natural tendency towards strained relationships. There's a natural tendency for fathers to enrage their, their kids. But I want to ask, uh, so that, that, that's the, the warning. And now I want to ask some, some subsequent questions about this. So how, how does a father go about enraging his children? Not that I'm seeking to give you a how-to from this point forward. But I want you to listen to this and begin to think through, am I doing any of these things? Uh, and, and parenting is, is difficult because in a certain sense, you, can't, you, you only get one go around on it, right? And parents, you begin to see what you, you hope you would have done differently. But how does, a, how does a father enrage his children? I have a, a list of, of 12 things here. I think it's going to be up on the slides, but I'll try to repeat. Uh, and again, not necessarily in any particular order, but number one, th- this, will, this will enrage your kids. If you manipulate them into obedience using fear, reward, or shame. If you, if you manipulate them in this way, it works uh, and it accomplishes uh, things when they are younger. Uh, but as they grow older... Uh, especially with, with fear and with shame. Uh, using those tools in your, uh, if you reach for those tools in the parenting toolbox, the, those tools come with strings attached. Uh, and it leads to, to bitterness and animosity later on in life. Uh, and there comes a point if you are, as a father, are just using uh, intimidation and uh, your size and your strength to, you know, to provoke fear into your kids, what do you do when your son is taller than you? Right? Eventually there comes that point when, when your kids, they're no longer in physical fear of you because they've grown up. Uh, and that's where all of those tools uh, disappear over time. So we don't reach for those. Uh, secondly, uh, you can be critical of them instead of encouraging them. One author wrote, A child learns what he lives. And if he lives with criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and to find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, to disparage his own ability, and to distrust the intentions of others. And above all, he learns to live with continual expectation of impending doom. Right? If you're only criticizing and never seeking to, to build up, and that's Ephesians 4.29. All right, let no unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, but only such as good uh, for building up as fits the occasion. Uh, are you seeking to build up your kids or are you just constantly tearing them down? Uh, and that begins to, to wear upon your, your children. Three, you can, you can show favoritism or compare your kids to one another. Why can't you be like your older sister? That usually doesn't go along very well. Uh, and you see that in Scripture, when there were favorites in the Old Testament. Look at the book of Genesis. Isaac and Rebekah each had a favorite among Jacob and Esau. 
Uh, and that led to the, the, the family splitting up and Jacob having to run for his life away from his brother. He stole the blessing too, and that led to other things. But also what's amazing is Jacob grew up within that and saw the danger of having favorites. And then what did Jacob do when he had 12 sons? He also had a favorite. And that led his other, you know, 11 of his sons or 10 of his sons uh, to basically sell Joseph into, into slavery and tell their, their father a yarn and say, oh, he died. Now you see that the consequences of having uh, favorites within the, the, the household. Four, you can, you can smother your kids by attempting to control everything in their lives. Uh, and most of the teenagers here said, amen, right? You're smothering me. Well, what's a teenager's favorite line? My, my parents are over overprotective. How do you know all of these? Yeah. Uh, and so, and here, I, I want to give a, some, some nuance here, because this one is really important to, to keep in balance. Parents, you can uh, smother your children, but also, kids, you have to understand what's, what is your parents' responsibility to shape, to guide, to, to protect, to instruct you. And so if your parents just give you free reign and say, go do whatever you want, they're not necessarily being faithful parents. Uh, they can't necessarily give you all of the, the leash that you want uh, when you're 13 or 14. Say, we're going to go into it. There's coming a day when your kids are, are going to be outside of your household and parents are trying to prepare our kids for that. Uh, but we, we have to be wise uh, in, in balancing that out. Uh, and so uh, the, the smothering by attempting to control is a very easy way to enrage. And number five, have no standard or expectation of your children. Kind of the opposite of, of smothering them with overprotection comes about when parents do not discipline or uh, discipline inconsistently. If you turn over with me to, to Hebrews chapter 12, that uh, tremendous passage on the, the importance of discipline and what discipline reveals. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our benefit, so that we may share his holiness. So he, he draws this, this direct line concerning how we view the, the discipline of the Lord, but he makes the, the point of if your father doesn't discipline you, what, what's the implication? He doesn't love you. He's allowing you to, to run to danger, to run into foolishness, and he says, ah, I, I don't need to, to step in there. So smothering is one danger, and then having no expectations is another danger. Another way to enrage your kids, create a culture of, of works-based approval. If you have a, a family culture that rewards a achievement and shames a lack of achievement, your kids will be uh, discouraged and, and provoked. I, I love what one pastor said, a child unable to please his father soon becomes a child unwilling to try. 
If, if you are impossible to please, uh, you, your, your kids will get exasperated. They get enraged because there's no way to make you happy. Uh, and I would say that is a very wrong picture uh, because it's anti-gospel, right? What are you modeling? As a father, you're modeling our heavenly father, uh, and you put your kids on that hamster wheel of trying to please you, and that's not what God does for us. And this is, again, understanding the gospel of grace. How have we been saved? By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, that is the gift of God. Don't put your kids on a hamster wheel trying to, to please you, uh, but affirm them and say, hey, you, God has put you in, a, uh, in our family. Uh, we are here for you. We love you. We care for you. I'm going to call you. I'm going uh, to, to obedience. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to instruct you. Uh, but uh, know that I always love you, and, encur- and I'm going to continue to encourage you uh, towards uh, obedience and faith in Christ and, and so many other things. But don't put your kids on this, this works-based system. And you can see that, that you're doing that if you withdraw from them, if you pull back. Right? And suddenly you're kind of giving them the silent treatment. Well, why are you doing that? Because you're seeking to communicate to them that they've displeased you. Again, these are all of the tools that it's easy to reach for those, uh, those tools and those habits to, to manipulate our kids, but we can't do that. Seven, you can act as if your children are unwanted or an inconvenience to you. Uh, you can be exasperated just by their mere presence. And this is important. Fathers, how do you respond when your kids interrupt you? I have to catch myself with this, right? I'm, I'm at my desk at home trying to study, answer emails, my all-time favorite thing. Like, I just got to do this one thing. And then my kids come in. And what do they, my kids want to do? They just want to sit on my lap. Uh, just, you know, they want to talk to me. They want to do that. And so I have to uh, guard my heart of, of being frustrated and asking or acting as if they are a hindrance and a bother to me. So I, I, I'm making a conscious effort to, to respond to them with joy and be excited that they're there. Uh, not acting as if they're a, a nuisance. Number eight, you could refuse to show them uh, affection. Never say, uh, I love you. Never give them a hug. Never say, I'm proud of you. Your kids need to, to hear and to know that you care for them, both verbally and, and physically. You can treat your children as if they are older or younger than they really are. Right? Treat, treat your 15-year-old like he's 10, that will enrage him. Uh, or treat your five-year-old like he's 10. That will also enrage him, right? I've done that with, it's, it's weird when you have kids of different ages, right? Mark kids uh, six, five, and two. It's like, two-year-old, why can't you put your shoes on? Why, why can't you do that on your own right now? We get used to where other kids are, and then you have higher expectations uh, from where they should be. You have to constantly temper those and treat uh, the child at the appropriate uh, age. Very important. That's an easy way to enrage them. Number 10, you can discipline them in an inconsistent or ungodly manner. Right? I would say yeah, verbal or physical abuse would fall into, into this uh, category. I would say discipline without explanation or instruction would fall into this category. Or discipline in anger. Right? Do your kids know when you are angry? Yeah, probably before you do. Uh, and, and so disciplining them out of anger is going to, to lead to, to bitterness, especially as they get older. 11, you can allow injustice to reside within the home. Right? Allow something to be going on, going on that isn't right. We see this in, in David's home with, with his son Absalom. Uh, one of David's other sons, uh, Amnon, had raped his sister, Tamar, and David didn't do anything about it. So another son, Absalom, 
uh, waits two years after it happens, says, okay, dad's not doing anything, I'll handle this. And, and he murders his brother and then is, runs off in exile. Uh, and so you see for those two years, Absalom was just angry and bitter because his father allowed this great injustice within their home. And it led to greater and greater conflict as well. So that will enrage your kids. And then number 12, and I think this is, you can kind of summarize all of the others under this one, but if you, if you live an unholy life, while claiming to follow Christ. This, this will enrage your kids. You say, I'm following after Christ, and then you don't do that. Because your kids will see all of the hypocrisy. They, will, they know all of the ways you say something and then don't actually follow through. In Revelation 3, uh, verses 15 and 16, his letter to uh, one of the seven churches, Jesus says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And oftentimes our, our kids come to that same conclusion. They, they see our uh, lives and they say, you're, you're not really following after Christ. Uh, and they, they eventually see the hypocrisy and they don't want to follow after it. Uh, J.C. Ryle has a, a wonderful little booklet called The Duties of Parents. I would highly recommend, but he, he, a couple of quotes here. He says, Fathers and mothers, do not forget that children learn more by the eye than they do by the ear. He said, instruction and advice and commands will profit little unless they are backed up by the pattern of your own life. Your children will never believe you are in earnest and really wish them to obey you so long as your actions contradict your counsel. So if you're doing one thing and saying another, it's just going to enrage your kids. And that's just across the board. In any area of life, they begin to see that Hypocrisy. If you're going to call them to something uh, and not do it yourself. What's that famous uh, adage that's horrible for parenting? Do as I say, not as I do. If, you, if you're having to say that, that's, a, that's really bad in, in Christian parenting. Literally, yeah. Uh, if you're not going and, and, and talking through things. And so that, that's how you enrage your kids. I know um, I'm low on time, but how does a father pursue reconciliation with enraged children? It's the second question I want to ask. Because multiple people have, over the course of our, our ministry here, have come up and asked about that. What do I do with this strained relationship with my, my children? Say, so number one, you, you need to, to repent. You, you need to confess to the Lord and bring those things before Him. Uh, and you need to, to commit your life to following after Christ. That, that's first and foremost. Then I would encourage you to, what we encourage a, a lot of people to do, if there's something that you need to confess, what we counsel is you follow the, the, the seven A's of, of confession. Uh, and those are, number one, first A, you have to address everyone involved. So if you're a father or a mother and, and you know that you have done things that have enraged your kids, who should you uh, take that up with? Each and every one of them right? Uh, you address every one of your kids uh, who saw a particular incident. If you were, uh, parents were arguing in the car, uh, you confess to one another, uh, you confess to God, but who else do you need to confess and ask forgiveness from? Your kids, right? Address everybody involved. You need to admit specifically, and you, can, you need to admit using biblical language. Uh, how would God describe your sin? Right? Don't, don't make light of it, Use biblical words, biblical terms. You should avoid if, but, and maybe. Have you ever had somebody ask forgiveness and then offer a ton of excuses? How did that make you feel? 
right? That they were really wanting to change or they were seeking to make excuses. Yeah. So avoid if, but, or maybe. Now, you should acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the, the impact that your decisions, your sin has made upon the other person. Uh, and, and that forces you to think, how has my decisions, how has my sin impacted my, my kids? Acknowledge the hurt and then accept the consequences. And part of that, of the consequences of our own sin as fathers can be this strained relationship. And understand that you, we want to pursue reconciliation, but is that going to immediately happen like a, turning on a light switch? No, it's going to take time. Uh, as, as you uh, communicate with them, as you uh, do uh, follow these A's, and, uh, again, address everyone involved, admit specifically, avoid excuses, uh, acknowledge the hurt, accept the consequences, and then you begin to alter your behavior. This is where the rubber meets the road, right? If you're constantly confessing and acknowledging your, your sinful behavior to your kids, but you're never changing, what is that going to do? It's just going to enrage them even more. You're, you might as well just pour gasoline on their anger, uh, that, that's the, the outcome of what's going to take place. Uh, and then you need to ask for forgiveness. Uh, and you need to do all of this and do it as, as quick as you can. Run to, to make peace. And if you can't do it in person, we've had a, multiple people write letters to their kids. Right? Write, write a letter uh, and, and communicate these things. And if you need help with that, uh, we've, Bruce and I have... have uh, we're happy to help give feedback. If you send a letter to us, we can give, say, hey, you know what? You're, you're using lots of excuses here. Uh, here you blamed your wife. Here you blamed your oldest son. Here you blamed your youngest. Like, here, here's what we can kind of help uh, you draft that, uh, that letter, but we would encourage you uh, to, to pursue reconciliation with your kids if you are estranged from them. Last question, I'll just kind of wind down here, but what, what about how does a child interact with an enraged or an enraging parent? There's something that, has, uh, that your father or your mother has done, and, and it's led you towards bitterness. It's become a stumbling block to you, and I can't, I can't just ignore this. I would say, first and foremost, you need to, you need to pray. If you keep your finger here. If you go over to, to Psalm 4, really, really important passage. This is important that you go to the Lord with your concerns, that you cry out to Him uh, and pray for wisdom, pray for, for grace, uh, pray for, for him to help you address your, your anger and, and your bitterness. Because, yeah, bitterness towards your parents, uh, it, it will, again, bitterness is the poison that we drink seeking to hurt others. Uh, and you being remaining bitter towards your parents is not going to uh, solve anything. But Psalm 4, verse 4, tremble and do not sin. The idea of tremble there is kind of be angry. So tremble and do not sin. Ponder in your heart upon your bed and be still. So don't, don't go vent to your friends or to your siblings or anybody else. Go pray to the Lord. Think about all these things. And then verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in Yahweh. Trust in the Lord. Bring your, all of your cares, all of your concerns to the Lord. Cry out to Him. Ask Him to realign your heart and offer up to Him worship that is due to His name. Uh, and think through what is righteous in this situation. So bring your, your cares, your concerns to your heavenly Father. Uh, and then you need to kind of think through, that if I'm going to go talk with a, with a parent, is this a sin issue or is this a non-sin issue? If it's not a sin issue, I'm going to go and make an appeal for them to change their mind. Uh, and I'm going to do that and still honoring and seeking to obey them. Uh, and 
uh, respect them. Uh, if it is a sin issue, here's, here's the difficulty. Children, we need to be willing to go and graciously confront and have a difficult conversation with our parents. You can do this as a teenager. Uh, you can do this as uh, an adult. But if there's something that's bothering you, we have to go and, and communicate that in a respectful way. Uh, going and, and co- confronting graciously and, and seeking to, to urge them towards repentance and obedience to Christ. Uh, and uh, again, we can, we can help you along the way if this is the, your situation. But we don't want to see these strained relationships that are everywhere in the world around us. These, these shouldn't characterize Christ's church. Amen? We shouldn't, we shouldn't see these same types of uh, struggles within the, the church. And, uh, and this, is a, this is a serious warning, and I, there's so much more to be said, but I wanted to cover it briefly today. And parenting is a, it is so hard. And, and oftentimes you, you learn by making mistakes. And we have to think along the lines of what regrets do I want to have later on in life? Uh, one, one father acknowledged how he would do things over if, if he had the chance. He says, my family's all grown and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay attention, more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. So if you're, if you're an older parent, and, and as you're looking back, what, what regrets w- w- do you have? What would you write down? What regrets? What would you want to do differently? There's things that you need to address. Address them as quickly as you can. If you're a, if you're a younger parent, we should be willing to hear those regrets from older saints who have gone before us. And we need to, to think through what regrets, what regrets do I want to avoid? I never want to have this struggle. I never want to have this issue. So because of that, I'm going to prioritize these things in my, in my own personal life and in my household. We really need to think these things through. And ultimately, as, as parents, we want to be able to echo what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. We want our following after Christ to be evident. We want to be able to call our children to do the same. Uh, And we need to address those things in our life that are hindering us from being able to do that with a clear conscience. Uh, And those things that might be enraging our children, even at a young age, that the seeds of bitterness may be there, may be growing. We want to be aware of that and heed the warning that God gives us here in this verse. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. Father, we praise you for being the ultimate picture of what you are calling earthly fathers and earthly parents to be. You are gracious and long-suffering, kind and forbearing and and forgiving those who confess and forsake their sin. 
We pray that you would work uh, in and, and through us uh, as children, uh, as, as parents, that, that you would just have your hand of, of blessing and guidance upon relationships within our own uh, church body, that, that you would uh, bring about reconciliation uh, to those who have strained relationships with their father, and that uh, in these relationships there would be uh, just a, a glorifying of you uh, as gospel principles are applied uh, and lives are transformed. Uh, and uh, relationships renewed. And we pray that you would work uh, as only you can and help us to to live out these principles, not uh, just as small, uh, quick fixes, uh, but as a, a way of life because we have been saved and redeemed by the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful uh, Sunday. And don't forget, next Sunday, there's no children's ministry.